Okay. You guys ready? My boys have been raiding. They want to know what's, what is up with this backpack, but they knew I was bringing it. So one of the verses we're looking at today is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he says, don't resist the one who is evil, but if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone sues you for your tunic, give him your cloak. And if someone forces you to go with him one mile, go with him two. Now I want to ask you, what does it mean to go with someone two miles? Any ideas what that means? If you're forced to go one mile with someone? Have you heard that explained before? Ellie? So, I, so here's what it means. So in, back in ancient empires, when it, the army of the empire was walking through a land they had conquered, they could force any young boy or man from the village to carry, the soldier could force them to carry their equipment up to one mile outside of the city. Now, I, you'll notice I put this backpack, it's camouflage, right? You notice, did you notice it was camouflage? Did you notice it was camouflage? Yeah, did you notice it was camouflage? Yeah, so this is one of my Navy back. This is what a modern backpack might look like. So, anyone wanna try to see if you can lift it? Yeah, you wanna see, Ellie? See if you can lift it? Okay, okay, she can get it off the ground. She can get it off the ground. Ooh, okay. Caleb, you want to try and see if you can lift it? Oh. Do you want to get your brother to help you? Oh, thank you. Let's, let's turn those over to Dad, huh? <laughs> can you help your brother lift? So, can you imagine who would, how big would someone have to be? This is actually lighter than what the equipment of a Roman soldier would be. So if a Roman soldier came through Judea, they could ask, they could make any man or young man from the village to carry their equipment for them up to one mile out of the village. And then they had to let them go and go back to their village. But the soldiers, they marched and they carried this all day. And so they would, when they could, they could make someone else carry it for them. And so that's what that means. He's saying, hey, if someone makes you carry it one mile, go with them too. Wow, that's, that would be pretty surprising, right? Pretty shocking, pretty generous. So what does that mean for us today? What is that, how, do, how can we show that kind of generosity and shocking generosity today? Maybe if you're asked to do something, do a really good job of it. Like maybe if you're asked to do chores around the house, do extra good. Or if you have to do something for school or for a neighbor, do extra good. Not just what you're asked to do, but even do better. Because that's what Jesus calls us to do, to think about how it will bless the other person. Not what it will cost us, but how it will bless the other person. So, All right, and then... Uh, Ushers, if you're looking how to uh, put in the altar for communion, my son has run off with them. So, <laughs> all right, you can go. <clears throat> yeah, probably only Hunter or Ben could carry this for a whole mile, but the rest of us would be broken. But Okay, we're continuing with the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to start with uh, asking you a question. Have you ever been blessed by undeserved, unexpected love? Maybe it was a gift, maybe a 
a, but a blessing of some sort that just was extravagant. Just it, it changed your life after that. And it's, it's something you didn't earn. You weren't expecting it. There's no reason you should have had it. Um, and my, I'm going to share a story from Rachel. She's given me permission to share this story. And this is so, uh, when she was in high school, she was in a German language class, and the German language class was planning a trip to Germany, and she knew she could never go. Like, her family could not afford to send her. There was no way she was ever going to go. And they were sharing Thanksgiving with her aunt and uncle, and her uncle's mother-in-law was a German national, so spoke German and was with them too. And Rachel happened to mention to her that, you know, her uncle's mother-in-law, <laughs> uh, in passing, about this, this trip she couldn't go on. And, and she wasn't asking for anything or hinting anything. She just happened to mention it. And, but her uncle must have overheard because a couple days later, he came to approach their family and offered to fund the whole trip for, to send Rachel on this trip, and, which was surprising because yeah, they wouldn't have described the relationship as, as exactly close. Um, so it was kind of it was unexpected. And, and so she was able to go on it. And it, so his extravagant, unexpected gift provided for this, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, and she still knows a little German. It's, it's rusty, but it's, she still knows more, more than me. But <laughs> and I'm sure all of you can probably, if you think about it, you can think of a gift like this, something unexpected, an unexpected blessing in your life. Something that was undeserved, unexpected, something you can't repay or return, and it just blessed your socks off. And what Jesus, in the words today, he's calling us to look for opportunities to bless others. He's holding up the quality of love, the love that fulfills the law to love your neighbor as yourself. He's holding up a righteousness, the righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees, the righteousness that is like a city shining on a hill, the righteousness that it says if you, that you hunger and thirst for it, you will be satisfied, the righteousness that fulfills the law without overturning it. And so Jesus shows us this love, this righteousness that, that gives the love of God. So before we read uh, verses 38 through 42, let's pray. Dear Lord, as, as we hear your words um, from the Sermon on the Mount here and talking about our love and our loving, having the quality of love that gives in all situations, even difficult ones, uh, may we hear them, take them to heart, understand them well, um, that we may understand your great love and that we might be, we might be changed by your love for us and show it to the world. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And so Jesus, at the start here, first verse, he's quoting from the Old Testament law when he said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we heard those words earlier from Deuteronomy 19. 
but they're also taught in Leviticus 24, verses 19 through 21, which says this, if anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. Now this judgment was meant to be carried, not to be carried out by the injured person or their family. It was meant to be carried out by the civil authorities of their town or of their tribe. So this law is meant to make, ensure that justice is done, that it's proportionate to the harm, and that it's not excessive in its vengeance. It's also meant as a deterrence, as we read in Deuteronomy 19. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. So Jesus here, he is not challenging the justice of the Old Testament. He's challenging the sin in the human heart that looks for any opportunity to hate, any opportunity to withhold love, any excuse to withhold charity. He's saying, he's saying even when you have been wrong, that does not justify you hating the other person. Jesus calls you to be filled with a generous love that gives, that does not return evil for evil, but overcomes evil with good and is always looking for opportunities to bless. So first Jesus said, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. That is a hard statement. In fact, when um, Al came to me before the service talking about our readings here and uh, talking about, well, okay, this says uh, tooth for tooth and this says uh, do overcome evil with good. It's kind of a, that, like might do... Uh, to a full, full head spin there <laughs> between those two. So how are we to take this? Do not resist the one who is evil. Well, based on what Jesus has already said in this same sermon, we know Jesus is not giving a new law. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So he is not overturning the commands to strive against evil. Also, it just... If we, if, we, if we were to take this legalistically, well, then you could never oppose evil. And you would just continually empower evil and cruelty would reign because you just constantly take it. Now, I mean, if, if we were to take this legalistically, then that would even mean that you know, the, the victim cannot, must stay with their abuser and so on. So Jesus, he is teaching us how God's love is lived out in a world filled with evil without being corrupted by that evil. So wrong done against you is never an excuse to retaliate with wrong. Disciples of Jesus show love to all, even to enemies who oppress them. And the scriptures that teach about resisting the forces of evil, they remain in effect. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. And Proverbs 28, verse 4, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. 
So those who uphold God's law will strive against the wicked. But we strive in the new way taught in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So truth and grace are your most powerful weapons against evil. Jesus is not saying you cannot resist evil in any way, shape, or form. He is saying don't resist evil with evil. You always have the right to defend your home, your family, your person, your life, your property. What you cannot do is take the law into your own hands and act as a vigilante, act as judge, jury, and executioner all in one. On the other hand, we definitely encourage these, are, you know, these institutions are good, so Christians should be in the police force, should be in law practice, should be in government, because God's given these things, these institutions, to punish evil and to protect good. So, there's, so you personally should not be judge, jury, and executioner, but there should be Christians doing these things in where they're authorized. <clears throat> They'll get back to us. When you are wronged, when you are wronged, your first response should be to entrust yourself to God and to his justice. And when you seek justice, it should be primarily for the good of your neighbor, not primarily for getting even. So seek justice so that evil will not be repeated, so that no one else will be wronged in the way that you were wronged, so that your neighbors may live in peace. And we've, you know, every person naturally protects their own personal rights. You don't have to teach anyone to do that. But if, even if every person in the world could adequately protect their, their personal rights, you might have justice but you would not necessarily have love. But what if every person said to their neighbor, I will seek justice for you and I know you will for me. What if we all resisted evil for each other's sake and not for ourselves? Well, that would be justice with love. So the main point of this passage, do not resist the one who is evil is this, the punishment for evil should come from God and from legitimate authorities. Even when you are wronged, act in love, even love for your oppressor. However, the loving thing to do may very well be to let them face the law so that they learn to repent. You love your neighbor as yourself for their good. And this is summed up very nicely in Leviticus 19, 15 through 18. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. I am the Lord. Next, Jesus gives three examples of not resisting the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So that, that slap on the cheek, you know, I am, that's a wimpy slap, I'm sorry. But <laughs> that, if anyone slaps you on the cheek, I mean, that's an insult. That is a public insult that, that that's, implies a personal feud. And if anyone is suing for your, your tunic, your inner, your inner shirt, you know, that, is, that also implies that there's a personal feud here. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with them, that refers to the ancient practices of empires. And there was their practice there, whether the Persians or the Romans, that when soldiers of the empire were traveling through a land that had been subjugated, they can compel any male to carry their equipment for them up to one mile from that village. And then they had to release them. Now, all these are wrongs, right? <laughs> They're obviously wrongs. Insult, assault, fraud, compelled labor. Jesus says your primary response in all of these is to bear the burden of the wrong to prevent the escalation of strife. If you are insulted or assaulted, turn the other cheek. This does not mean to cower or to be fearful. This, means, this is bearing the cost. Instead of striking his cheek in return, offer your cheek for a second insult. And that's hard <laughs> to do. But there's also courage and strength to stand and take it. And he says, if, you, if this person wrongfully sues you for your property, well, give him your best cloak too. If he compels your labor or your work, give him above and beyond what was asked for. Respond to opposition with love. Don't treat opposition as an excuse to hate. Instead, look for opportunities to bless them. The primary reason for this is to preserve your heart against evil. Because the most natural response when you are wronged is anger and hate and bitterness. But Ephesians 4, 26-27 says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So don't let sin grow in your heart and corrupt the, the love and the peace that you have from God. You can subdue the bitterness in your heart by choosing to be generous even when you don't want to, even to those who you would naturally hate because of what they've done to you. And what we read earlier, Romans 12, 14 through 21, it teaches how we overcome evil with good. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. 
but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. By the way, if you haven't heard this before, the heaping burning coals on their head, that doesn't mean you're punishing your enemy. That was an ancient sign of repentance that someone would rub ashes on their head to show they had repented of something. So he's saying here, your good works to your enemy may very well lead them to repentance. So we can overcome evil with good. But boy, it's easier said than done, right? <laughs> easier said than done. How do we find the strength to do this, to, to choose this? How do we develop this heart attitude? Well, 1 Peter 2, 20 through 25 says this. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on, in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So in all these things, Jesus is our example. He is our strength. He is our motivation. When he suffered unjustly, he did not retaliate but instead entrusted himself to God who always judges justly. Jesus bore the burden. He paid the price for the wrongs done to him. And he did this so that he could give, so that he could give you salvation, forgiveness of sins, spiritual re regeneration, and eternal life. Jesus is the extravagant gift that changes your life forever. As it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So because Jesus bore your burdens, you can bear the burden when you are wronged. Because Jesus entrusted himself to God, you can entrust yourself to God. And because Jesus' love always gives you can always look to give. Matthew 5, 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Again, we should treat this teaching as a spiritual principle that governs your heart attitude, not a, a rigid legalistic rule. This does not mean give to every con man who calls you on the phone. <laughs> right? They're asking... <laughs> 
This doesn't mean given. You don't give when you know it's a con. It does mean we should look for opportunities to give, not for excuses not to give. Scripture does give guidance on who should receive our charity and how we should steward the church's resources. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 11. For even when we were with you, we, should, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Those who refuse to work to improve their situation, but seem intent on mooching off others, should not receive charity. I mean, the words are pretty straightforward. Now, we, we should start from grace, right? A gracious attitude, assuming the best about other people. But when a person shows a pattern of unwillingness to work, to change things, even when they're given good opportunity, well, then charity should be withheld because it should be saved for someone for whom it will benefit. We're looking to change their situation, not just a one-time help. But to do this well requires that we go the second mile, that we get to know the people we are helping so that we can judge this clearly and accurately. <clears throat> and we are to be good stewards of our resources, to be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. First Timothy 5.16 says, if any believing woman, we could just put any person in there, has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So Paul instructed Timothy to be a good steward, to use the church's resources for those who had no other help. And if a family has the resources to help their own, we should insist that they do so. The church is not here so that families are off the hook to provide for their own. The church is to be a good, a good steward of its resources to help those who have nowhere else to go. And this stewardship is, is freer the more personal it is and, and more strict the more uh, collaborative it is. I mean, if it's just you and your resources, I mean, you are free to, to give. Um, but as soon as we start making it collective, we, oh, it's the congregation's resources, then we need to be more mindful and more diligent to be good stewards. And it, I mean, as soon as the greater, more collaborative it is, the more diligent and more stringent it needs to be to use those well and not to, to steward them well. But the primary principle Jesus is teaching here is to give out of love. To give and keep giving, to look and keep looking for ways to bless others. And to give what you can and give in a way that tries to change their circumstances. Try to change their situation. And if it is beyond your resources, find a way to connect them with someone who can change their circumstances. And also Jesus says, give alone to those who ask. Don't refuse just because you don't expect that it will be returned. But do more than give. Dig in. Ask what it's for. Maybe they need it because they have a plan to change their situation. Maybe they're, they're working, they're striving, they just need a help 
to get over the ridge. Maybe what they need is more than money. Maybe they need your expertise and guidance about how to use it well so they can actually get to a place where they're stable and flourishing. Now, it's very natural over the course of our lives to become that, for our hearts to harden against generosity because, because our generosity has been taken advantage of and abused so many times. But Jesus calls us to be generous, to be giving, to be that way. And we keep a heart of giving by looking at God's love for us. He has given us the extravagant gift of salvation in Jesus. He gives and never stops giving. His gift is undeserved, unexpected, extravagant, and life-changing. Because God's love gives, we give. And Romans 13, 8 through 10 summarizes the, the main point here very nicely. Owe no one to anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up <coughs> in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who bore our burdens, who took our burden the second mile, who took it upon himself at the cross, so that we might be forgiven, so that we could be made new, so that you could change our situation and our heart and our life and for all eternity. And pray that we would see your never-stopping, generous love towards us. And as we look at you, our hearts would be changed and we would be generous in heart and willing to give to those in need around us. That we'd be wise, that we'd be caring, that we would have sincere, genuine care for the people around us that you've placed in our lives. And we pray that when we are wronged, <clears throat> we would not become bitter, but we would overcome evil with good. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.